So I have the privilege this morning to introduce one of my best friends, Pastor Jim Stretchberry. I know he's going to get tired of me sharing this, this story, um, but Pastor Jim was the missions pastor at Calvary Santa Barbara. About 25 years ago, I was a new Christian at Calvary Santa Maria. Pastor Jim came, introduced himself to me, and then asked me to take my 10- and 12-year-old sons to Australia with them. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I just met you. You're nuts. I'm not going to do that. But for whatever reason, God led me to say, yeah, I'll pray about it. Well, it turns out that he took my sons, he took my sister on that trip, and they did great things in Australia. Uh, my sister was able to lead uh, somebody to Christ on that trip. I don't know anybody like Pastor Jim. He's been to 93 countries. I've been with him to Mexico and Germany and to Israel 12 times. Pastor Jim oversees a ministry called AEBM, American European Bethel Mission. Um, and I'm on his board. He's asked me to be a part of that. So it's been a real blessing to be a part of that and to see how God uses Jim, who cannot say no to Jesus, and to do all this great ministry all around the world, Mexico, Ukraine, uh, Germany, and then Israel. Um, so it's through Bethel that our church is going next year to Israel. You guys get to go to the facility in Haifa, where young men are being saved off the streets of Tel Aviv from drugs and other bad stuff. And now as a result of all these men coming to know Jesus, we've actually have planted a church there. So our church is going there and get to hang out at that facility next year. So praise God. <laughs> so I'd like to bring my friend Jim. We're going to pray for him. If you guys can welcome him. He always says he's a loser. You're probably going to hear that. It's all Jesus. Amen. Let's pray for Jim. Father, thank you for bringing this dear brother here to share this message that you have blessed and anointed. I just pray that you fill him with your word and your spirit. And I just pray that you open our ears, Lord God, so we can hear. And then do what you've told us to do, Father God. So glorify yourself through Jim this morning, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Anointed worship. What a blessing. What a blessing. A message in itself. So happy to be here this morning. I'm from Santa Barbara. So it was wonderful getting up at the crack of dawn and driving up the highway with nobody on it, especially no highway patrol. <laughs> so it was good. I'm so excited about all the enthusiasm and anticipation for people from this congregation traveling to the Holy Land next spring. Uh, when we started this venture, I think uh, your pastor and Pastor James and Pastor said, well, we'll see. And I think we're going to have like a full, pretty full trip. Um, it would be wonderful. Um, this month, I'll be going on my 51st tour to Israel uh, with a youth group that uh, kind of twisted my arm. My 138th trip to Israel. Uh, this, this year alone, I've already been there four times, and uh, believe me, it's not because I'm insane. I never tire of being in the Holy Land, never. I finish a tour, and I, as anybody would, I come home, and I think, oh my gosh, I'm so tired, I'm worn out. But within a week, I say to my wife, I'm going to Israel. 
because 10 days in Israel is indescribable. I couldn't I put words into it. It's just indescribable because Israel will cause an experience in your life as a believer that probably nothing else ever has before. I have people that have come to Israel with me 20 times over and over again because they never stop receiving some jewel from there. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say that going to Israel for 10 days is like going to Bible college for one year. And believe me, the way your pastor has planned this trip, it will be the most wonderful, wonderful experience you've had. Open your Bible this morning, your iPhone, your iPad. Please don't make lunch appointments on my message. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a wonderful, wonderful day. It's a wonderful day that we need to really understand more, embrace more, and just make it something that is so much part of our everyday life as believers. It's a special day for pastors, leaders, congregants, because it represents something so wonderful. And it's to ask each of us to consider our need to maybe recommit ourselves to equipping and encouraging the believers for ministry. When we do this, I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit will be totally free to use the church for God's purposes in the entire world. That's the point here. You know, present-day views of the church today are often anything but complimentary. One of the nicer things said about the church is that it's irrelevant. In all honesty, we do have to admit that the church oftentimes has been guilty of these things. There is much justification, I think, to some of these charges. But they are true only because the church so easily forget, forgets what it really is, what it's really about, what it was always meant to be since that first Pentecost. The church, operating as it was intended to operate, in my opinion, is the most relevant body of people in any age. Far above anything else this world has, it's actually the underground authority of the earth. As Paul the Apostle said, it is the pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. You know, the source and support of all faithful knowledge of life, that is what the church is supposed to be. All the things that we want to know about, we should be getting here from this precious book. In the book of Acts, we're privileged again this morning to become eyewitnesses to the birth of the church. Today is the church's birthday. That's what Pentecost represents. It's amazing, this day, wonderful, miraculous, and it's still present in the 21st century, 2,000 years after that first Pentecost. At the end of Acts 1, we see how it was essential for the disciples to replace Judas because it was an Old Testament prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. So Matthias was picked, and that's an entirely different message, but it's a great message. Now, with the choosing of Matthias, the ground was laid for the church to be built. The foundation is poured, all the apostles are there, 
these mighty apostles were men who would give witness to the historic foundation of Christendom. They were sent forth in, in a threefold task. They were the pioneers. As we read in the conclusion of Matthew, what the charge was to them, they are going to fulfill. They're going everywhere where the name of Jesus is unknown. The planning of churches there, every one of the apostles did fulfill that task. We read in history that Thomas went to India, Peter went to Europe, as well as Paul, and others went to North Africa. So the apostles became the pioneers of this wonderful faith that we have today. They laid the groundwork of the church. You know, in missiology, and I love missiology. I have loved missiology my entire life. Before I was a believer, I was a very strong Catholic. I went to Catholic boarding school my whole life. I spent half my life on my knees. But I loved missions. I just loved the idea of missions. And you know, within missiology, that we, we and I agree with this, so it's we, we believe that during this period, this post-Pentecost period, it is for the population of the world at the time, it is the greatest missions movement in the history of Christendom. This was the power of the Holy Spirit that started with those 120 men on that Pentecost day. So they were patterns. They were intended to be examples of how the Holy Spirit of God operates through men and how God can penetrate any community, how he moves to change people and transform them into what he wants them to be. They were to be the examples and the patterns for what Christians are to be. There was no greater thing than this. But you know what? They were no greater than you. They were just like us. They were on the same level as us. They were used by God for a mighty work, but the scripture tells us we are all alike. We're to live like the apostle lived every day, but they are just an example for us. So it's consequently these men who form the foundation of Christendom. Now, if we turn to chapter 2, we find that the figure now has changed. Here the church is no longer just a building, it's a body. Here is this exciting chapter that we have the story of the birth of the communal body of Jesus Christ. Read with me. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Acts 2, 1 through 4. So this passage has been subjected to much examination. Obviously, if you're a believer, you know that. But it's also been mishandled. It's also been misrepresented. And I think this morning, what we want to do again is look at it carefully because it is a powerful, powerful part of the Word of God. Here is the story of the birth of the body of Jesus Christ, the church. There are three things in this passage that I want to call your attention to this morning. First, a comment on the day on which this occurred. Don't miss this because it's important and most people don't know it. It was on the day of Pentecost. Well, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the Greek word for 50. The day was called that because it was 50 days after the Passover feast. 
Pentecost meant a Jewish feast which is given to us in the Old Testament under the title Feast of Weeks. So seven weeks were to be numbered from Passover or 49 days. Then the 50th day, they were to have the Feast of Weeks, or as it's called, also the Feast of Wave Loaves. Look at Leviticus 23. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits of the Lord. Because it consisted of these two loaves of bread, they were baked from grain from the new harvest. That's the harvest festival is what Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Pentecost came at the end of the wheat harvest of Israel, and it was a great day of celebration. They were to take new wheat, freshly harvested, the first fruits of the harvest, and bake two loaves of bread. This is important, and I'll tell you in the morning. Wow, there's something else that we have to see here. Don't miss the significance of this, how God uses the Old Testament and the New Testament, just like Passover. Passover, I love Passover. I just spent Passover in London with my family. They're all Jewish. I'm the only believer. And my wife and I are kind of like cogs in the wheel, but they invited us this year. We had a great family reunion in London. And it's so significant, Passover, for Jews. But so significant for us as believers because this year, the date of Passover and Easter were the same weekend. So basically, I had a great opportunity to share that Jesus passed me over. That's my Passover. Jesus passed me over. On that cross, he took this loser's sin and for all time justified me. And what, what a wonderful connection between Passover and Easter, even though they don't always fall on the same day. But the first fruits of the Jewish feast, when the Holy Spirit comes, is always also the first harvest, which is, you can see that the understanding of that. For I love to argue this point with Jews, because it's basically God's perfect planning to have the Holy Spirit come on Pentecost, the day of the harvest, the celebration in Israel for a successful wheat harvest, and the day for us as believers to be filled with the power from God above as Jesus promised. What a wonderful, wonderful correlation you can make of this story. Now, these are highly symbolic issues. It all shows how the New Testament has all its roots in the Old Testament. These two loaves were symbols of these two bodies from which the church was to be formed, the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus said he came first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but the Jews. But he said also, I quote, other sheep have I which I are not in this fold. Them also must I bring that they may be one flock. John 10, 16. He was referring to the Gentiles here. On the day of Pentecost, God took the Jews and the Gentiles and brought them together and baptized them into one, a church birth, a church birthday. Furthermore, those loaves of the Old Testament were to be baked with leaven. And if you understand Judaism, baking with leaven is just not kosher. Leaven is yeast and is a symbol of sin. And what a wonderful analogy here, because these loaves we, we see here is the only sacrifice in the Old Testament that ever had leaven 
included in it. Why? Well, it's God's wonderful way of telling us that the church is not made up of perfect people. It's made up of saints, of course, but it's made up of sinful saints. I'm the first. It is made up of people that sin, but in them they have something greater than the sin of this world. It is not made up of those who have reached any kind of perfection, but of those who are in the process of becoming everything that God wants them to be. We have a divine authority and life at work within us, changing us, I pray, every day. I pray the Lord would never stop changing this hard heart of mine. Therefore, the loaves are baked with leaven. Now, in that beautiful symbolism lays the heart of the church on the day of Pentecost, right in line with this Old Testament prediction, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. And what did he do? Never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. That's a big mistake. The Holy Spirit is he who is in us just as Jesus promised. I will bring you someone even greater, even greater than I. I mean, can you imagine? Every one of us who believe has that spirit in us. Someone even greater than our precious Savior. So we're told here, he took 120 people who were gathered around into one place and made one of them. Now, this is an important thing. There's different ideas of what the population of Israel was. I know they didn't have a statistics class then, so it's all kind of sketchy. But Josephus says that there were about 1.2 million people in Israel when this event took place. And then Jewish scholars say there were about 600,000, which was the population of Jerusalem at the time. And so somewhere in the middle is where it was. But I think, you know, I want to bring this to your attention because just think of in Jerusalem, and especially when you travel to Jerusalem, we'll go to the old city, which is a very small area. Basically, a million people would go there for the high holidays. And they would camp around all the tent, all the uh, hills around the Mount of Olives and all the hills around Jerusalem. They would camp there and basically go into the old city and the holies of holies. But you can just picture in your mind, and when you're there, I'll be in Jerusalem with you, and believe me, I will draw a wonderful picture for you. Because it's, it's amazing when you think about it. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all these people, in the midst of this celebration, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come on these 120 men and he's going to use them in a way that is so significant that we should never, ever forget. It says in First Chronicles 12, 13, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. So one of the premises here is all these separate people are going to become one. The premise here, all these separate people here should be one should be loving each other, caring for each other, burden, have burdens for each other, and encouraging each other. And from then on, they were part of the life of Jesus Christ and members one of another as we should be today. What would happen to one, if, to one would affect the others and so on. So whatever's going on with me is going on with any other believer. Whatever's going on with you should be going on with me. 
That's the idea that Jesus wanted us to know and to have. They could not be separated, nor could they live their lives in isolation any longer. They were one body. I spoke, to, I prayed with a fellow after first service today. What a blessing. He said this could not have been a better message for him because he's been living in isolation for quite a long time. And today was his first day back at Calvary Chapel. Thank you, Lord. Now, associated with this event in these symbols, there was a sound of a mighty wind, and there was an appearance of tongues of fire dancing on the head of each individual, and there was a strange phenomena of languages spoken by men who had never learned these languages, tongues. What is the meaning of these symbols? They are the key to the function of the body. This is God's clear way of telling us what his body is going to do and how it is to be characterized. So the first thing is the wind. Now, as I told you, I've been to Israel endless times, and I love Jerusalem. I cannot stay away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is busy. The infrastructure there is insane. But I love Jerusalem because Jerusalem is so important to our faith. And I'll tell you something about Jerusalem. I've been there so many times, I can say this with a little bit of authority. Jerusalem is, is a high place in Israel. Jerusalem can be very, very, very hot, very, very, very cold. It can snow in Jerusalem. I've experienced all those weathers. But because of the topography of Jerusalem, it has very little wind. And it's very rare that you would have a mighty wind. I have never seen it in my 30-plus years going to Israel, a mighty wind in Jerusalem. In this event, the first thing, I, as I said, is the wind. Suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rush of mighty wind, and it filled where they were sitting. So wind is the symbol of something important, invisible power. But the other thing I want you to note here this morning, that it was something very strange to happen in Jerusalem as far as my experience is concerned. Remember that what Jesus said in John 3.8, Jesus said to Nicodemus, He that is born of the Spirit is like the wind, which blows wherever it desires, and no man can tell where it comes from or where it will go. It is sovereign, mighty, powerful, irresistible, and invincible. But it is also invisible. You cannot see it. And this is the characteristic of the church. This power of the Holy Spirit within us is what really, really matters. This worship this morning, anointed. Anointed. That's, and it's the Spirit telling me that. Not these great worship people. I don't care about them. But I love to be in a service that's anointed by the Spirit of God. When you feel, when our sister says that it broke her heart, it broke my heart. Worship should always break our hearts. Worship is meant to break our hearts because we're worshiping the one God of heaven who we so love and are so grateful for his salvation. So when they operate in this invisible, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, you will accomplish great things. You can look through the history of Christendom. The greatest things accomplished have been through the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot put your finger on the source of the power. It's a spectacular power. It is a powerful power. It is an endless power. It is the resurrection power which does not need props of any kind. It cannot be stopped in its operation. It is mighty and moves to change and transform. Look, I'm honest with you this morning. If you would have told me 40 years ago that I would be standing here today sharing this word with you, 
I would have told you, you need to see a mental health professional. Because that is how unlikely that would have been. And it's God. I'm a loser. It's God. It's God in me that has taken this idiot and made him something that he can transform and use. The second symbol is fire. Fire is used in two ways in the Old Testament. It's what purifies, which burns up trash, garbage, and waste, and consequently purifies. And it is used as a symbol for enthusiasm, passion, purpose, and hunger, as we see in Jeremiah. It says, as I was mussing, the fire burned. These two symbols indicate that the church is to be characterized with a purifying passion. There's also to be within it a strange hunger for God. And this is what I love about what's God's spirit. Basically, God's spirit makes you hungry for God, makes you hungry for his word, makes you hungry to be with other believers. This will purify our lives and affect us in ways we've never, ever known before. I remember this story I read about the old Moody. Please don't send me an email and say I didn't get it exactly right, but it's the purpose you'll see. D.L. Moody is like one of my heroes, and, it, and there was a story about him that talks about he was walking down the street in New York City, and he was thinking about a sentence he had heard. And here's the sentence, I quote, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is wholly yielded to him. So there came to his heart when he was thinking and meditating on these words, this great supernatural hunger to understand what it is that God was trying to tell him. He cried out, Oh God, make me that man. He was so filled with a sense of overpowering love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that he couldn't even make it home. He went to a friend's house nearby to ask if he could use one of their rooms. And he went into their room for an hour and more and caught up in this wonderful, refining power of the Holy Spirit, this passion which he describes in such wonderful detail. That was not his single experience. That was just a manifestation, of it, and it began and changed his heart forever. He be, when he, when he, this happened to him, it broke him, it crushed him, allowing the tremendous work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse him of the evils of his life and to move him to the merging purposes that God had for him. What a wonderful testimony. And if you read about D.L. Moody, you will see how that power used this man to affect Christendom and become one of the pillars of our faith. That is what Luke is talking about here. When John the Baptist predicted that Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he meant that there would be unexplainable passion about the church, which would change man forever. Every Christian has it. Every Christian should have felt it. And if you haven't, please come and pray with somebody today because it will be life-changing. The third symbol we use is that of tongues. Certainly in this situation, it was not gibberish. They were known languages spoken in that very region as well as the many other places on the earth. Today in Israel, many Jews in the world obviously are going back. You can obviously know why. Anti-Semitism is back on a jet train. 
And Israel today has people from 115 countries. Now think about that. And they, they assimilate and they blend together. But you have 115 languages, 115 ways that you were brought up with the idiosyncrasies of that culture. And yet these people kind of somehow manage, and Israel has a, it's a, another message, has a really good way of assimilating these people. But think what it was, what was like at the time of Pentecost. Say there were 900,000 people in Jerusalem. So hundreds of thousands of people spoke different languages. And this is basically what we're talking about here today. Now, that's the purpose that day of filling of the Holy Spirit. It was always to enable us to speak naturally with boldness, clarity, sincerity, earnestness, telling always onward the mighty work of God in languages. But it doesn't only mean that you speak in understandable languages. In this particular day, there it was, they were speaking the language of the people that were in Jerusalem and sharing the mighty work of God and the mighty work of Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what you can see in the scripture that happened here. These people were blown away. These 120 people were educated college graduates who went to Cal Poly. These were just people, fishermen, blue-collar workers from Jerusalem, from, from around Israel, from the Galilee. These people were not important people. And all of a sudden... They're experts in all these foreign languages. Can you imagine what it must have done to the people that heard this? And we read later in the scripture, 3,000 came to the Lord the first time Peter actually spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an important point, is that these men and these women who were seized by the Holy Spirit and filled with utterances and proclamation, several times in the book we see that they did it again and again and again. Look at the Acts 4. Look at Acts 19. They were filled with the Holy Spirit as they spoke. That is what the filling of the Holy Spirit is for. It is for Christians who speak supernaturally with boldness, clarity, earnestness, but not necessarily always in tongues and not necessarily always in understandable tongues. Now, there is a symbol for, now, these are the symbols for the church. Here is what the church must do today. It has what it has been in any age. It has everything that we need today. I would, I would suggest to you today, our greatest problem within Christianity today is the lack of power of the Holy Spirit of God. Man is trying to conjure up this false kind of Christianity. Without the crushing power of the Holy Spirit of God, I couldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't have the energy, let alone have a life that was purposeful or clean enough to be able to share God's word with you. All over the country, all over the world, we are seeing God's spirit working. In Germany, we have a ministry in Germany. It's called BASE. We've had it for 10 years. Two years ago, and you know, think about Germany. It's in Cologne, Germany is our headquarters. The homosexual capital of Germany, as secular as you can get, as much drinking as you can imagine. And here we decided we would start our work. And we've been working there for years and years. Two years ago, we rented the entire platform in front of the Cologne Cathedral, put up a huge stage there, and had a night of worship and 
some great teaching, 10,000 young people came. 10,000. 10,000. Anointed worship, anointed teaching. From that 10,000, a new church was birthed in Cologne, and today it has 1,200 young people in it. A wonderful, wonderful work of God. Have no doubt that God's Spirit is anointing people today. Do not be discouraged by all the negativity we hear because there are many, many congregations that I go to in the world that are filled and desire and have a passion for the Spirit of God to direct them and lead them. Miraculous demonstrations are breaking out. Relentless power to seek more of Jesus, I see more and more of. It's like a mighty wind blowing that no man knows where it's going to lead them. So today, if God's Spirit is in you, he will lead you into new ventures, new methods, new approaches, filling men with a passion and hunger for God that is supernatural, that you cannot make up yourself allowing men and women all over the world to get rid of the garbage and the waste of their lives and live for him who made them and loves them endlessly. See, to see men and women speaking gloriously about our Lord is the most powerful thing in the world. You know, I'll just tell you something. Yesterday, yesterday, on Friday, I was in, uh, in San Diego speaking at a commencement and after the commencement, I, I met with a bunch of people. And on Saturday morning, we went out to breakfast. And, and you, know, you know, these days, people, you don't see as much praying at breakfast or anything like that. And, uh, and I, don't think, you know, I don't think there's a law about it or anything like that. It's just your choice. But we decided we would pray for breakfast. And this lady that was in this restaurant came up to us and said, Wow, I haven't seen anybody pray in such a long time. Can I share something? And basically it led into this whole, whole thing. And, and God's spirit will put us in positions and situations and circumstances we would never, ever dream about when God sees you as a power from God filled with his spirit doing things that are otherworldly. That is the church today. What an exciting Thing to be a member of this body of Christ. And what an exciting thing to know that within us there is this power that comes from God himself to change our lives, to change our situations, to change our circumstances. He knows every single thought and every molecule in our body. It's fascinating when you think about this, 850 years before Pentecost, Joel had a prophecy, Joel 2.28. The day of the Lord and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. And the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. What a promise. But you know, think about this. That's 850 years before Pentecost. Joel is saying, there will be a day. There will be a day of the Lord. And afterward, 50 days afterwards, the Holy Spirit will come upon his people. I pray today that that would be something that you would be passionate about. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so often confused. We're so often mixed up. We confess today, Lord. I confess today. Often we see things that are superficial, extraneous, mechanical, and we take them to be the real thing for us. We don't even understand very much about ourselves, Lord. But Lord, we thank you today for your precious word, which clarifies all things, which opens our hearts, opens our eyes, and makes us see things the way they are meant to be seen by you. Lord, I pray today, I pray for each one here today, Father. I pray, Father, that they would be renewed by the power of your spirit and not allow situations or circumstances or whatever ever might be happening in life today to be a barrier for the great work you want to do in each one of us, the great building of oneness you want for each one of us. Let us be passionate about allowing the Holy Spirit to control our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your precious love. We thank you, Jesus, that we can be in this place today and worship you in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I didn't know where the other microphone went. I'm so glad when God calls us out of our own personal lives with a message like this. Because the call of Jesus, when he told his disciples before he raised from the dead, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to descend upon you so that you can be my witnesses. And I think the message today speaks to that call that God has on us that goes beyond our own interests, our own circumstances, our own relationships that we have with other people, because it was for the whole of the people, Jew and Gentile. So the call today, I believe, in responding to that would be, Lord, grant me a hunger to make your interests above my interests. And that we would respond to the call of God that you, by the spirit that dwells in you and by the power that God wants to put upon you to be a testimony to your neighbors, to your friends, to your workmates, and maybe even call you to some place on this planet that might be distinctly different than San Luis Obispo. That we yield to the call of God from this message. So let's stand.
And depending on how you received that message and heard that, I would ask you to respond. And as we worship, uh, we'll have communion up front, which is a symbol of what God gave to us. He gave everything to purchase us for himself. It says that we were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with something much more precious, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, that means ownership is transferred from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you each know him, belong to him. And so I would ask that you would respond to what God is speaking to you about and that you would be filled again with the power of his presence so that you might carry out what God has for you. And no matter where you, like Jim said, no matter where you find yourself, there isn't one person in this room that is disqualified from carrying the message of Jesus and his healing ability. Whether you're experiencing the fullness of that or maybe you feel like your life is a mess, that does not disqualify you. So I would ask you to respond, whether you come up for prayer. We'll have some people over here, some people off to the side. We're going to have communion, which again symbolizes his broken body, which heals us. And the cup, which is his blood that washes and cleans us and cleanses us. So we'll have some people off to the side to be doing that, serving communion for you. Uh, if you're in the back and you don't want to wait up front, we have some uh, communion implements on the side, in the back, and on the side over there. But I would ask that in this giving of yourself to him that you respond to this message today in whatever manner you deem appropriate, but he is calling you to be a part of that. Bless you.